Hello, and welcome to the Swim Brief, Dr. Megan Cannon. How are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you doing? I'm good. I've been teasing this podcast. I told people I was going down to Galveston, and I I, I have one that's coming out today as we're recording this, where I talk about oh, okay. that this is this is coming. So this this will be out a few days after we record it. Um, but uh, I've been getting the people excited to have you on here, so I'm really excited uh, as well to get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. I got to talk to you and meet you um, down in Texas. You were a speaker at the the, the Gulf Coaches Clinic. Um, did, did you have a good time being down there? I do. I, I appreciate that event so much because the coaches are the ones that interface with the athletes so much. And having an event that's specific to coaches, that's not super technique based, but more of these skills that the coaches can do to like develop themselves and their coaching. It, to me, that's a, it's a really cool event. That's just the return on like that investment for the athletes. Huge. Yeah. And I want to, I want to get into that stuff. Um, a lot of the skills that you're teaching and the stuff that you're bringing uh, to the sport of swimming. And I guess beyond the sport of swimming, right. You, you work with athletes from all kinds of sports. Um, but let's, let's come back and like, let's get the, the audience here to know Dr. Megan, as a as a person, even maybe back to your own athletic days, talk about um, how you got into sports as a kid, what sports you played, you know, what your experience was like and some of that stuff. Yeah, I, I was the kid that like put their head underwater at 18 months old. And my mom was like, oh, OK, so maybe this is like a thing. And so um, I started swimming, you know, just like rec summer stuff uh, when I was younger and then um, just developed and, and swam through high school. I also played softball and then, you know, dabbled in like rec basketball and tried soccer for a minute, um, but swimming, softball, and then I danced for like the whole whole period of time as well. So those were the three primary activities that for me really stuck. Um, and it was a cool experience, I think, being the, the multi-sport athlete because it was, gave me opportunity to get sick of one and then get back to it and be excited for it um, with just kind of a constant schedule of sport happening. Um, so I think right. for, for me, it was a really good mix. Um, I decided to retire from sports when I went to college. I intentionally went to a school without a pool. Like I was over it. I was done. My 50 and hundred swim days were, were over. Uh, I continued to dance and I was on the team at my university, but I, I laid the sport part of my life in that capacity to rest. Um, and that was really when like the psychology side started to grow. Um, and so after that, I went and I got my PhD in clinical psych down at Nova Southeastern university, and they just happened to have a sport psychology clinic on the campus. And this was like, you know, 2010, 2012. So, I mean, there are things that are growing now, but looking at, you know, several years ago, a decade ago at this point, that wasn't commonplace at all. And the professor right. had an interest area in it and they did it. And so we, our roles, we did a lot of concussion um, evaluating and um, return to play decision stuff along with, we were the therapist on retainer for the student athletes. They would always come to us rather than the counseling center for clinical needs. And then we also did sport performance for those athletes that were interested in that as well. So it was kind of a one-stop shop and a really unique 
avenue for those athletes and a resource on that campus. And for me, um, you know, I had done some other things through school in different areas of psych. And I was like, all right, I can't imagine doing this forever. I can't imagine doing this forever. And then when the athlete psych combination hit, I was like, okay, like this is a world I understand. That's a, a world I grew up, I lived in. Now I'm adding the newer at the time psychology piece. And so I just never really looked back. Yeah, and I am I, curious about a thing because you you told me this when we were down in Texas too. You said like I purposely sought out a college without a pool. So like, it, and then and then you end up you know pursuing sports psychology. So I guess mm-hmm. if take us back to 17, 18 year old Megan, who's like I I want to be done with swimming. Like what was going on with what, what, how it had gotten to that point and what, like, what point were you at looking at the school at that point? You you know, and it's so interesting now that I look back at it because I didn't have the words for it. And I think it was the same with retiring from softball, but but definitely with swim, I was so anxious about it. You know, and Mm. it was just this whole area of stress of like, well, how's this going to go? And then like day getting up to a meet, you know, I'd be sitting in class and just like thinking about it and what's going to happen and what's going to happen. And, and, you know, and so now, and I think that's why the the sport and psychology world like resonated with me because it helped me put a language to this experience that ultimately, you know, for me, I was like, I'm done. Like, I, I don't need this. I don't need that additional stress. And, you know, I oftentimes find myself kind of thinking back and wondering what if, sports psych existed I mean it existed but like to the the way that it does now yeah what if it what if it existed in the way that it does now to young individuals that's teaching this skill set to put this language on this like I can't eat I have a hard time sleeping I can't stop thinking about it like that was really unpleasant for me but now I can under I like kind of see back and I, I wish it existed um but for me I think that in kind of trying to understand and reflect back on my athletic career, that was really the driving force that made me like, I no longer want to do this. I'm going to focus on school. I'm going to focus on dance. Like those were other things that I I enjoyed. I still wanted to be active, but I just had no interest in, um, in continuing. I think that level of additional stress for myself, which. Yeah. If I go back, would have been cool. I don't know what would have happened, but yeah, it was, I was still dead. time. There's still time. I mean, you know? like I just started competing and swimming again. There's still time for you. You know, if you, if you ever, if you ever reconsider it, but I, I tell people all the time, like one of the inflection points that led to me doing what I do now was I've had a lifelong love of the sport of swimming. But when mm-hmm. I was finishing in college, when I swam my last race in college, I remember the thought that I had standing in the shower. And it was, thank God, I never have to do that again. And, you know, wow. like I returned to that moment quite a bit to think about how did I get to a place where this was something that I loved doing and I still love doing. And yet it became something that I was like, I can't wait to stop. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to just get away from this. Um, and it's, it's, it, I find it endlessly fascinating exploring how you know, something can go from something so healthy and good and functional for you into that really dysfunctional space. And I'm guessing based on what you just told me, that is an area of interest for you as well. Absolutely. And, you know, it's sports, the culture of sport is so different now than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. It is 
cutthroat. It's so much more competitive. There's such much more higher expectations. I mean, it's really, it's become an, an, a business entity, youth sports mm. more so than anything. And a lot of times the age of the athletes I work with, I work primarily with college athletes and then with high school athletes, you know, it's around probably high school, maybe the end of middle school, that this thing that they did when they were like 10 and it's just fun and you go and do it, this stress relief becomes the stressor. And so that evolution um, is a, a really interesting point for me, you know, cause I see it all the time. And on the first day, whenever I meet with athletes, I'm always like, all right, so like, why, why are you doing this? Why, are, why do you, you know, oftentimes they'll do a variety of other emails, um, not other emails, other sports. And I'll be like, you know, right. they've retired from them, but why are you still in swim? Like, wh- like what is it about that? Um, to help them try to reconnect and find like the fun, like what was, what was that thing when you were 10 that kept you coming back? Um, that maybe as things get more and more competitive, we just lose sight of. So it's interesting you bring up this theme. You say stuff has gotten more cutthroat over the last 15 to 20 years. Um, what are some, I guess, what are some like examples? So what are some stuff that stands out to you that you think has changed in the culture? And 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 I guess you're also holding this in the same, right? You, you, you notice that at the same time, the culture is devolving in one way. It is evolving mm-hmm. in another way with um, the way that people are just integrating sports psychology into, um, you know, like viewing it more um, as a piece of of a natural piece of everything that's happening versus like, right. well, that's sort of an exceptional thing that maybe um, a very small, tiny percentage of people, quote unquote, need. So yeah. what, what are some of the changes in the culture you've observed over the course of time doing this kind of work? Yeah. Well, I think swimming, we're a little bit like insulated from it because swimming, swimming has been like a year round sport for a very long time. Um, especially, you know, club swim like that, that has been the culture, but you look at the other sports, soccer, basketball, baseball, those were not year round situations. And now athletes are specializing in doing these year round things at younger and younger and younger ages and having, you know, I had a a friend whose nephew was seven, five days a week, baseball, like what? I mean, like, like there's the, or it's just these younger and younger ages. We're seeing earlier and earlier specialization. There's now also, and it's, everything's a blessing and a curse, right? There's two, two ways of looking at it. We now also have so much more knowledge and information of strength and conditioning and, and these external things. And so these athletes, not only is it, you know, year round, they're specializing younger and younger, but then there's all the extras. It's like, and and parents, you know, they go into it just wanting to provide the best for their kids. And, oh my goodness, if so-and-so has this extra hitting lesson, well then, well, I want to provide that for my kid. And so now you have, you know, your practices multiple days a week, then you have hitting lessons, then you have pitching lessons, then you have this lessons, and then you have strength and conditioning. And then you're like, it's, it is, it has become just bigger. And as a result of that, so much more money from parents are being output into it. And so I hear comments, not infrequently um, from the parents, but then also the kids of just like, oh yeah, my mom said that they're not going to pay for my extra lessons anymore if I don't perform X, Y, or Z, which mm-hmm. like, that is really stressful. And then you look at, um, you know, club sports years ago, 
it would be okay. Maybe like one or two clubs in the area for soccer or whatever. Now, any parent that's like, mm, I think I'm going to have an interesting business venture. My kid is about to be this age. Like they, there are new clubs that pop up all the time and there's different, and you have to like try out. I mean, it like the, the culture around it from, from that standpoint has, has become a multi-billion dollar industry. So now there's this like pressure of competing and performing and now kids are doing like more and more and more specialized, specialized, specialized. So now they're not having other hobbies, not other activities. Um, and then you even look at some of the, the sideline things that are happening where there's research that's showing like parents are, increasing their like maybe not so positive behaviors towards referees and towards other parents. And so there's this like WWF culture, you know, on the sidelines of things of them, like just screaming and yelling. And I, whenever I do a parent talk, um, you know, the first thing I ask is why, why are we here? Why, you know, you chose to have a child and you made the choice to then put them in sport. Like why, what was the goal? Um, you know, it's oftentimes like dealing with failure, working well with other people, um, time management, like doing something as a team, you know, all of these really great things. But then I show this video and it's a U12 softball tournament where there is an all out parent like brawl and the girls are trying to rip their parents off of other parents and crying. And I mean, like, what is that? Like, how, how I, is that this, how? I ended up in an argument, I've told, talked about it on this podcast. I ended up in an argument. My, my daughter is nine years old when she was eight. She we signed her up for the town recreational soccer league. This is recreational soccer for second graders. And the first game that I went to, first off, it was amazing. And I can see why parents get so emotional and so passionate about their kids doing sports. Because it was the most fun I had at a live sporting event for a long time. Because it's somebody that you love is doing it, yeah. right? Like you have an you have a, such a strong emotional investment. But I ended up in an argument with a guy at the first game because you know, they had like, so it's eight, eight year olds playing soccer. I would estimate maybe 13, 14 year olds uh, refereeing the thing. And some guy was just yelling at this 13 year old girl. And I was like, man, if, if we just like pile abuse on this person, these kids aren't going to be allowed to play soccer. Cause there's going to be nobody that wants to do this. Mm -hmm. This person's, you know, just like, just, just a kid who stepped up so that younger kids could play a game and like, it's it's not the end of the world if she misses a couple calls like who cares and right. then i was then i but then i was aware like oh man am i making a scene i'm having an argument with this person at you know the event and and at the same time even in the background another theme that you that, that you you brought up is you know i was aware at the same time that there was like you know the travel soccer team for eight-year-olds somewhere that i had not signed my kid up for and like oh no, are we now behind, right? I think that is a very common anxiety for parents. Um, you know, are you somehow setting your kid up for failure because you're not giving them enough resources early on? Now you, you, you mentioned this earlier, primarily you work with college age athletes. So it's interesting, like I, we start talking about what changes in the culture. You're talking about a lot of stuff that that starts at, you know, seven years old even um what went into the decision then to say well i'm going to work with people that are at the collegiate level primarily um versus like i'm going to come up with something to do 
for the parents of seven-year-olds or somehow, you know, with seven-year-olds, what, what went into that for you? Um, you know, for it, it honestly was just kind of the client base, you know, I mean, I, it's who calls, right. And it just happens to be the parents of oftentimes college kids and then high school kids. Um, but that's, whenever that's when I, it's reached the point that they're like, we can't, we can't go on right. like this anymore. There, Cause you know, there's, um, performance anxiety is like, that's, that is, I think 95% of the presenting problem. And, you know, it, it, parents never call on a good day. Right. Um, rarely, rarely. <laughs> I shouldn't say never. They rarely call on a good day. So typically the order of events is something happened last night and it's not the first time at a game, kids in tears, you know, there's like just, just frustration, there's stress. And the parents are like, I don't know what to do. Um, and so it just happens, you know, cause that's kind of when some of the, the volume gets cranked up now uh, with that being said, you know, I have some gymnasts and things that we are, we are hanging out in middle school because like that sport is that's a whole other culture and a whole other, whole other, whole other thing. Um, but yeah, they, it just kind of evolved into primarily that, but whenever I do, um, cause I work individually, but then I'll also work with teams, you know, and sometimes that's for a season, sometimes it's multiple seasons in a row. Other times it's just sort of, Hey, we'll come in, we'll do like one seminar. But whenever I do that, I'm always like for free. I will come and I will talk to your parents like yeah open seminar for whatever. And then I'll, I'll kind of talk with the coaches um, a little bit beforehand of, you know, what are some of the trends that you see with your club and with your parents? Um, because, you know, the thing that I think it's really important to remember about parents that we see like blowing a gasket on a sideline is they're doing it so much because they care, right? Like it's right. like, I have this emotional investment in this little human being and I want them to have everything I didn't have and everything everybody else has. I just want to give them the opportunity that whatever they choose to do, I am providing a really good foundation of liftoff for it. And I compare it to like, if I were to do someone's taxes, I would have really, really, really good intentions and I would want to do it well, but I just don't know. That's not the area I live in. Like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, uh, TurboTax told me to ask this question, but like, I'll probably miss a lot of things or, or you know, and yeah. even though my intentions are are solid and I want to help this person get, you know, money back or whatever, um, there's just stuff I don't know because I don't live in that world. And so for parents kind of in the sport world, um, that's, that is like a, a side passion of mine of how can we, you know, kind of help to, to shift this culture because there's a lot of research that supports when sports are done well, character development positive all around but when sports are not done well opposite like it is not providing that character development um qualities and skills that that ultimately most parents put their kids in sports to learn um and so we it, so keeping sports doing it right you know is really important for the investment of those like small to medium size someday going to be full size humans yeah so I, there's a couple things that now I, I, my mind is going in a million different directions based on some of the stuff you're saying. And I just have so many, so many uh, interesting areas that I, I want to explore. But one of them is, as you say, like sports done right. And this is something I think about so much because I, I am one of those people who like really believes passionately that there is a right way to do things. People who listen to the podcast know um, I am prone to go 
uh, get on my moral high horse and ride it straight out of town. Um, yeah, man. You know, so it, it, it is it is it is just how how I see things. And so but what I run into a lot and I'm wondering if you run into this as well and how you think when you when you run into it is that in if you have a competitive situation right there are always going to be people who when they're faced with that competitive situation start compromising on some of the things that are right in order to give themselves a leg up competitively and that is you know that gives you a lot of I guess for lack of a better term, like authority in youth sports, like, you know, you're the best team producing the best results. You probably have people that come to you, right? They, they come to you with performance anxiety. They don't want to hear, well, here's a healthier way to do it. And, um, you know, you, maybe you won't be as good or, you know, like you, you'll, yeah. maybe you'll get worse at gymnastics, but you'll have more love in your heart. You know, like they don't want to hear that. Right. They want to hear like, right. come in here, fix it. So I can do even better than I'm doing right now. So how do you, how do you navigate that? Yeah. First of all, I, I told him to go get another hobby, <laughs> like straight off the bat. I'm like, go do something else. Like, because the more we can, you know, and, and, you know, I, and I use the examples, especially in the swimming world of like Kate Ledecky and Elizabeth Beisel, two women that were so incredibly successful a couple years ago, they're at the ESPYs just like shredding on the stage. You know, Kate Ledecky is playing the piano and Elizabeth's accompanying her on the violin. It's like, see these people that did this at such a high level, like you, you can do other stuff and it's not going to be of a detriment to you. So I sometimes get this like very shocked look where I'm like, listen, my challenge for you the week is I want you to go find a hobby that has nothing to do with like whatever sport you're in, because we're trying to develop you as a whole person. And if like you get a bad grade and then you have a bad practice and now you're like in like your identity is crumbling because you feel like you suck at everything. It like, like now we're just setting that 15 year old up to fail, you know, yeah. and, and not to mention at any point in time. And this is, I think something that we, it's, like we should talk about a little more is like sports aren't permanent. Mm-hmm. I mean, swimming has the opportunity more so than many sports to be permanent or more of a, a long-term fixture in people's right. lives. But like you could send a kid to practice today and they come back with an injury and they're done. Yeah. And now what, right? right. What are you going to talk to them about? because you guys don't have any other connection points, what are they going to do to help them? Like, Oh my goodness, I'm losing this huge thing. Um, and so I try to like, you know, promote that big picture, um, this past weekend, you know, I think myself and many other people were talking about this idea of process over outcome process over outcome. I joke to my athletes. I'm like, I feel like I'm the hype man for like the process because I talk about it all the time of, you know, if we're focused on the process, you're going to ultimately stress yourself out less and get closer to that outcome every right. time, you know? And so when I do have those kids coming in of like, Oh, this is happening. I need to fix this or this and that. And it's like, all right, well, let's break it down because you standing up behind the block, freaking out about this time you want to get, well, now you're diving into the water in a much different physical space than practice. Not helpful. You're stressed out, not helpful. And you're not thinking of anything that's ultimately going to get you from one side of the pool to the other faster. Right. So let's, you know, and so those are are some of the ways and, and I'll try to use stories. I'll try to use, you know, examples of other athletes and I'll try to, you know, show them the science of, listen, this maybe solve some athletes be like, well, if I'm not focused on that, then it means it doesn't care. Cause that's what my coach tells me. And I'm like, no, 
you means that you mm-hmm. care so much that you're finding ways to help you perform better. Like that's, that's the goal here. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, an interesting push and pull sometimes um, of really, and I feel I, I sometimes like then come out a little jaded of just like, I want to continue to love sports. And I think it's starting like my, my career mission over time, you know, initially it was like, Hey, I'm going to like help these individual athletes, you know, reach peak performance. And like, yes, that's still something I want to do, but also I see the bigger picture in the sport culture and, and as a former athlete and, and how it was such a positive thing in my world. Like I now at this point, I'm like, what are things that I can do through talking to the coaches, through talking with the parents on these larger scales so that we can keep sports fun, we can keep sports competitive, and we can keep kids in sports as long as we can, you know, and and how can we kind of make this culture, you know, as fun as it once was for as long as it can be. Right. Yeah, I think of I think you just got to a point that I just want to highlight that the, the, the way some of this makes sense to me is that, you know, when you make a decision to sort of go off in 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 your very individual situation or in the short term, you make like a competitive sort of compromise. Maybe you get a little advantage um, out of that, but you 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 are almost taking out a high interest loan against your long term like sustainability of doing whatever it is you're doing sport wise and on a broader level, the sport itself, right? Because if sports become something that like the perception by a lot of people is just like, Oh yeah. Sports is where you send your kid. And then eventually it devolves into destroying their mental health. Kids, parents are going to sign their kids up for that. Like they're going to go like, let's find something else where my kids kind of, you know, come out of this healthy and happy and, you know, um, something else. And I, I, I want to reiterate um, another piece you said about this. I love the piece about hobbies. Um, one of my early exposures into the like highest level of elite swimming um, I, I went over to coach in Denmark for several years. And for my professional development, I said, you know, I don't want to go in any conferences. I don't want to like, you know, take any classes. Let me go to the national training center. And I just want to watch them practice for a week and, and meet the coaches there. And there's an Australian guy who have referenced on this podcast before Shannon Rawlson, who was running it. And he had taken over for a coach where the D- Denmark, Danish swimming has just been over a scandal where they had a series of really hardline coaches. These coaches, the, the, the scandal was all built around that they were weighing the swimmers live on deck and then being like, you fat pig, you know, like you need, to, it was crazy, crazy stuff. And nobody put a stop to it. Right. So this guy comes in on the backs of that and he's had all these people. The message they've been given is you've got to sacrifice everything else. That's the key to, you know, getting to the highest level of swimming. And he just sort of went one by one going through like, what else are you going to do with your life? You're going to go back to school. You want to like, you know, you want to paint. He just, and he sort of just like nudged everybody into doing something else. And he said, well, actually it's a really important part of this. And that was the first time I'd ever gotten exposed to somebody like this. And, and so it probably leads to me now in the work that I do asking a question, which I'm sure you ask some variation of like, I'll just be talking to an athlete that I'm working with. And I go like, what do you do for fun? And if there's a big drawn out silence on the other mm-hmm. end of that, I, I know, okay, that's an area for, <laughs> for growth. Nope. Mm-hmm. Every time, um, every time. What do you do to relax? Right? Like some variation to that, that question. Um, yeah. 
because you can get your life. Uh, and I know for, for instance, in my own history in swimming, I got totally imbalanced. I mean, I, I was, I swam through college, as I said, and at certain points, I think I got berated by my coach once for skipping class, right. The entire day, but I came to two swim practices and he was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with your life? That you, that everything is just like swimming first, right? Before yeah. before literally anything else. And I, I look back on it. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't good. Um, I know it didn't actually help me to do the thing that I wanted to do, right? Even if it, if I isolate it as as wanting to um, wanting to swim fast. So I'm going to ask you. I'm going to get a little bit into the work that you're doing because we've been like you know touching it here and there. Um, so you do one-to-one coaching with athletes, Mm -hmm. you work with teams, as you said, sometimes it is a season long engagement. Sometimes it is a one-off. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it is year after year after year, you're working on a, um, project, anything else that you do? I want to make sure people who are listening to this, have an awareness of like, what does, what does Dr. Meg do? Yeah. So, you know, those are are two, I say there's like kind of like four areas. The first is, you know, the individual stuff. The second is, is in working with teams. And then as a function of that, the coaches and the parents also things like this past weekend and golf swim where, um, you know, conferences and different organizations where, um, you know, I can educate a bunch of people at one time versus like the 20 members of this team or that one person sitting in the room. And then most recently, because I see, Yes, because I'm in it and I believe in the work that I do, but um, I see the need for it. You know, I see the need for it. I also see, especially as we get to, you know, some of like the division three levels, you know, where there's not as much funding, but also as you're trickling into high schools, you know, the the money for sports psychology resources is just not there nor prioritized. And then also with individual families, like things are expensive, you know? And so my, a a more recent thing that I've been tackling is how can these resources be much more accessible to individuals? And also how can I reach people? Cause it's, you know, I I talk about the same stuff all the time. So I know that there's a need for it. And so um, I basically took 10 sessions, like things that would go session by session with these athletes that I meet with individually and put them into an online, like just self-study program um, that they can, you know, the each module is about 15 to, I think the longest one might be a little over 20 minutes. They have like worksheets, there's different bonus relaxation things, just an opportunity to like meet them where they're at, not only from, you can fit this in when you can and do it at your own pace, but also, um, you know, I don't know a ton of families because I mean, insurance does not cover sport performance. You know, my, my athletes right. in Pennsylvania, where I am, you know, I'm like, as a licensed psychologist in Pennsylvania, I do have a fair amount of athletes that, you know, there's anxiety, there's depression going on and they happen to be athletes. And so, so that's our work together is a little bit more clinical, but even my sport performance athletes in Pennsylvania, insurance will laugh in your face. If you think that that's something that you're going to get any money back. And, you know, that just, in my mind, it doesn't sit right that from a financial standpoint, that's a barrier for people learning life skills right now, you're going to apply it in swimming. Beautiful. If that's what you can, like, if that's, what's going to get you to buy in. Okay, great. That's my pathway for teaching this stuff. I'm I'm going to take it. I'll I'll take take it. it. I'll do it. I'll use all the analogies. Like I'll speak sport to you, but I know that when you're 25, 35, 45, 55, 
the physiology of anxiety is the exact same, the strategies and tools, like they're the things that, you know, you are, have the opportunity to apply for the rest of your life. And so for me, figuring out that like online method that I can reach these people at a much lower price, they can do it at their own time. Just eliminating some of the accessibility barriers is kind of the, the fourth arm that um, within this last year I've added on as well. Very cool. Um, and I get the sense just from um, our brief time getting to know each other, you're busy. Like you, you, you get out to <laughs> quite a few teams. You work with a lot of athletes, like you are busy. You're, you're, you're doing a lot of work in this. So I guess now I'm going to turn the question on you. Like what does, what does Dr. Mega do for fun? Oh, so many things. Well, I love like the gym, like that is just like my little, I don't have to talk to anybody, like heavy space. Um, I also you work out by do... yourself. You're like, you're, yeah. you're an asocial exerciser. <laughs> you're in the gym, yeah. headphones, like. Yep. And I'll go I'm, to classes, I'm, but. Yeah. I, I call it dumbbell mode, uh, meditation, right? Like yeah. I'm just like, I'm holding something and I'm, I'm processing all my thoughts and yeah, I'm just in my own little world for, for however yeah. long. Yes. So that's, that's a, that's a big, big thing in my world. And then, um, you know, I'll, I'll just do different like adventures that somehow tie back to work of, you know, I've done different Spartans or different Ragnar, like these like 200 mile road races, just to be like, this is stressful to me, you know, to practice some of the stuff I preach at golf. Um, that's, I'm, I'm really, really stoked for the upcoming golf season. I just got a upgrade in my club. So I just cannot wait to get out there once we get rid of the snow, which would be great. Um, so that's, that's where I spend a lot of time in the summer along with like hiking and just being outdoors. My, I mentioned this at golf, like two years ago, I went to Africa and did Mount Kilimanjaro. And that was like the coolest, coolest wow. thing. But like you're hiking overnight, 17 out of 20 hours on, on the like seven day trek in the middle of the bush in Africa. Like I tell my athletes that I'm like, yo, dude, like that's not a physical thing mm. at all. <laughs> like you got. And so I, cause also I want to demonstrate to the kids I work with, like, I'm not just some adult, like telling me stuff. Like I do these things and here are some of the things that I do. And, and then I just get to maybe travel and go do some fun stuff. So this summer I have a, a trip to Yosemite planned and I got Half dome permits are are applied, and I'm, I'm fingers crossed that we'll be able to get them. And just outdoorsy, active stuff to me is the the chill and the zen. It's so interesting too, though, that like some of the stuff you reference, right? Like it's pretty extreme, right? Going up, as you say, like Mount Kilimanjaro. That's like that 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 I would say is on the extreme level. What what do you find? Because I think it's not obvious to everybody, like how that can be really beneficial to you. Right. I mean, I think we can, we can start to associate that with some of the dysfunctional stuff we talked about earlier, where you go like, yeah, sports taken too far. Right. It's just like, it'll, it'll just crush you. So why do you view it as a positive? Like what, what's in it for you? What do you get out of going up Mount Kilimanjaro yeah. or doing a 200 a mile race? Right. <laughs> um, you know, part of it is that like, okay, I have a goal. You know, and even though, yes, I like going to the gym, but uh, I don't love it all the time, you know, and so just like that, having the goal and, and working towards something. Um, and I think for, for that adventure specifically, I went with like a group of friends. And so it was this very cool, like, Hey, like we're, we're doing this thing together and like, we're supporting each other through it. And like, we're in it. And that Kilimanjaro in particular, at the end of that, I was like, whoa, 
Like I did that. Like, that's crazy. Like, like, you know, and that's not something I'm going to do all the time, obviously. Um, but there was like this kind of interesting moment of, of confidence of like, wow, well, if I could do that and if I could figure that out, um, I could probably do some other stuff too. And so I think for me, it was a, a confidence thing. It was a social thing and a, all right, this is in a year. Yeah. And this was also during COVID times. Like, so I did summer of 21. Right. So it was Two like, years ago, yeah. we're still, you know, questionable. And so it was like, like, how do, how can I stay motivated to, to do these like healthy behaviors for myself that I enjoy? Well, if I know that I'm doing that in like six months, then yeah, I guess I'm going to go put some weights in a day pack and go walk around because I want to be able to do that for real. Right. Right. I, and I see even in the way you're talking about it, like giving yourself, you're, you're actually, you're giving yourself what you want, even though it's something that's extremely challenging. Right. I mean, sometimes we, we can think of these extremely, these ambitious goals as something that we have to do. Right. And the way you set it up for yourself, even just, just describing it, it was like, no, I'm, I'm kind of trapped in my house and gosh, wouldn't it be great to go to Mount Kilimanjaro and would that be like a once in a lifetime experience, you know, just to just go and, and do that. Uh, you're making me want to go, even though I'm not really a, uh, a, uh, mountaineer myself or, or, uh, <laughs> uh I'm not built, not so much built for the, uh, for, for long races. Yeah. I guess that'd be my best way. Of describing <laughs> it. Um, all right. Now we got to get to some really important stuff at the end here. Um, yes. Okay. Um, I'm I'm going to mess up which WrestleMania this was in the mid nineties, but Hulk Hogan wrestled Yokozuna and in the middle of the match, the ref was not looking. Mr. Fuji threw salt into Hulk Hogan's eyes. Is it an illegitimate championship for Yokozuna? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, I believe so. that that was one of the greatest injustices of my childhood. And I've been waiting <laughs> for a long time to get somebody on the podcast to appropriately hammer out. Um, but I, 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 of course, I'm bringing this up because you and I were exchanging emails in advance of this. And I, I dropped some um, some, I guess, it, isn't the term you would know better than me. K, K fob. Is that how you say it? The, uh, like the, put him the, over. Yeah, I said I said I would put you over on the podcast, <laughs> and then you unleashed like this knowledge of, um, of course, what was WWE when we were kids is now sorry WWF when we were kids mm-hmm. and now is WWE, um, and you have a lot. Um, you, uh, you we were out to dinner. You were talking about uh, your interest in the Great British Baking Show. Uh, Mary Liston, who I've also referenced on this podcast, let you know where you could find the first five seasons. Um, yeah. But what did you, if I could, if I could go back to my childhood, I've often thought about this. What did you like about wrestling? I was totally surprised. First off, I don't, I guess I'm being a bit sexist. Uh, I didn't think there were any girls who were interested yeah, in it's wrestling fair. at the it's same fair. time I was. But what did you like about that growing up? Like, what drew you to that? Yeah, as a, as a, as a <laughs> yeah, swimmer, dancer, softball player. <laughs> I had an older brother 
and him and his friends would do it. And so I thought it was so cool. And so then I would just like sit in there and like that. So it was, it was my way of trying to be cool, like my brother. And I had a couple friends who they also had older brothers that watched it. And so then it was like pay-per-view parties and stuff. And also to be fair, I mean, have you seen Dwayne Johnson? This was like back in the days where like the rock was coming out and that man without a shirt on got me hooked very, very easily. So I uh, fell in love when I was like, you know, 12, my friends would have like in sync posters on their wall. And I had like a six, five Samoan man. Um, that's just what it did. And it was like, really was into it. My 13th birthday was, I uh, went to SmackDown when it was no the best way. nights of my life. Yeah. Oh my it was gosh. pretty cool. The Rock versus Chris Jericho. That was big. It's big times, so, big times. Would it be fair to say The Rock was your favorite wrestler? Because I have oh, a favorite. I'm, I'm a little bit, I think I'm my, my WWF stuff uh, predates you a little bit. I was a giant fan of ravishing rick rude that was my favorite wrestler oh, back yeah. in the day um and obviously hulk hogan was very very big in those days as well that 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 my emotional attachment to that moment um oh, when i was still I'm, I'm gonna look it up after this and maybe i'll put it in the show notes or something i believe <laughs> it's got to be like to. It's got to be like WrestleMania in like 1995 or 1996, oh, but to be at that peak age where you sort of know what's going on, but you don't know what's going on because I right. really was like very, very upset. Um, that, and like, now we know, rigged. you know, this is, this is the origin of like, I'm going to ride into the sun on my moral high horse here because back in the day when, right. you know, Hulk Hogan was cheated out of his championship. <laughs> unbelievable yeah. it's just like what what kind of again i wanted to react like the guy uh, you know at the eight-year-old soccer game i just was screaming <laughs> at um at yeah, that and i don't know i also think there's uh, an aspect of it that i i haven't watched a lot of wrestling since then but i find myself drawn back into it because i it's weird that you think of like you know, wrestling as fake, but there is something very authentic about them just sort of going like, this is a performance. Mm -hmm. This is a performance. Do you like watching a cool performance? Do you like watching some athletes do really athletic stuff? Yeah. Like, instead of, you know, like, this is a real sport. Okay. A lot of the real sports is just like, we've just decided it's fun to have people swimming up and down the pool and see which one touches yeah. first. Right. We've decided our two people are going to run against each other. These people are going to kick a ball and one of them puts it in the net some more times than the other one. And then so it is all in a in a certain sense of performance. And I mean that in the best way possible. Right. Not in yeah. the way where, where you have people come to you like, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do? I have to perform yeah. well. More just like this is fun. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we if we all had that perspective and, and you know, and, and the truth is and, and this is where I don't want to like be jaded and, and pessimistic but like when we look at the amount of kids and that's we can talk the littles all the way through middle school through high school and college and the actual percentage of them that are ever going to make it their job or make money from it i mean half the sports don't even have professional leagues you know what i mean so yeah and maybe so if you count scholarships and all that piece of it like it is I'm just, they don't even exist any. And that's literally whenever I talk to parents, I'm like, number one thing you need to know, <laughs> like this, yeah. these don't exist anymore in the fashion, you know, that right. they maybe did, you know, years ago, right. it's just not the reality anymore, especially after COVID. 
Um, the goal of sports is performance. It's having fun. And those dudes in WWE, if they like have some costumes and are able to like rip around a mic and stuff, cool. It just like makes it a little bit more engaging, but it's no different than performing at a meet or at a basketball game. And ultimately we're putting kids or people in a pressure cooker situation and challenging them to like, all right, you've practiced really hard for this. You've rehearsed it. You've done it. You know what you're going to do. Now go do it to your best capacity or capability. And now we have a really safe way for kids to like be stressed and to fail and to let, you know, and, and do it in mm -hmm. a way that then mm -hmm. we can like take them home and cook them a nice little dinner and like, you know, whatever, because they're not, it's, it's not a career for, for most people. And it's wonderful for those that it is. But if, right. if, you know, as a parent, I'm putting my kid into a sport when they're eight being like, I just cannot wait to be like the mom at the Olympics, like watching my kid, like, well, you know, that's going to be a, it's going to be a long road for everyone in that situation, yeah. you know? And so I think if we were able to make it fun and kind of view it, you know, maybe it's not as scripted or maybe some yeah. organizations are, which we don't know about, but maybe it's not as officially scripted as like the WWE, but like, it's still just a fun thing. And it's a way for, I, I tell my kids all the time, like you have the skills, it is your character qualities of time management, your strength, your athleticism. And right now, whatever sport you have is your vehicle. Yeah. But take away that sport. You still have all those qualities. You still have all those characteristics. You can choose to find another vehicle to share your talents with the world. Um, or you don't have to, it would be great if you did, cause you have them, but it's you. And if swimming's your vehicle or basketball, baseball, soccer, softball, that's great. And it's a wonderful vehicle for you to show the world all of these really cool character qualities and strengths and abilities that you have. And that's all it is at the end of the day. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind if Caleb Dressel, you know, just worked a little bit of Ric Flair type promo into the, you know, the, the Paris Olympics. Like, Could you imagine? Let Those me tell you something about Kyle Chalmers. Yeah. Like... <laughs> get some costumes, get a belt. I mean, I really, you know, and when we meet in Paris, you know, like just, just a little bit of that. Um, okay. Dr. Megan or Dr. Meg, what am I supposed to call you? I've been doing this for oh, 45 man. minutes. <laughs> if people, if people want to learn more about what you do, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to engage you on any one of these things, um, where should they go? Yeah. Um, so my, my overall website is just drmegancannon.com d-r-m-e-g-a-n-c-a-n-o-n like really like most basic basic spelling name yeah. you have such a um, great sports name too dr megan cannon like you know so badass i appreciate that i, I, <laughs> I when i was little i was like cannon that's not a real last name it's just like an artillery weapon it's not real like one too many ends to be part of like the the camera fortune um yeah but yeah so my website's pretty easy my email is on there too along with my phone number i'm on this like the socials at dr megan cannon um mvpmindset.com is where i have information on that online program um but yeah i'm pretty easy to find and i the best way of reaching out is just through a phone call or through email um and i'm so much like happy to talk this stuff with people because again you know I, it's an area that i find really important and it's fun for me to get to use sports to just ultimately help people become even better humans for the long run. Yeah. I, I love the stuff that you're doing. I, I love having you on here. If people, uh, my, my plugs at the end, christycoach.com, 
um, on socials, Christy underscore coach on Instagram and CD swim coach on Facebook. Thank you to everybody for listening to this podcast. Don't, don't believe what my co-host tells you. If you listen to one of my other podcasts, there's actually a lot of people that listen to this. So um, <laughs> we, 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 and I think one of the reasons is we thank them every time. We are grateful for their listening. Seriously, um, I loved running into some people down in Texas that have listened to this and you know wanted to give their opinion on everything. That is actually one of the main reasons I do this because um, I get to learn a lot from doing this podcast, and that's one of the reasons I had you on. I learned a lot uh, from learning, and I want to pass that on to my audience as well. And um, th- as I said, this will go up a few days after recording. Um, and then I should be back with our regular scheduled podcast, me and Joel Rawlings next week. So everybody look forward to that. And uh, again, thank you and see you soon.